0: Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom at the Eating Disorder Clinic in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. And today I'm going to be sitting down with Opal's co-founder and nutrition director, Julie Church, to talk about metabolism. Metabolism is a word I think that most people know, but don't necessarily understand the full uh, scientific context around and understanding of. And it's something that we're going to be discussing in light of sort of the new year trend to get on a diet. We've talked before about all of the reasons why this is not a great idea, but we're going to go a little bit more into the science today and talk about what is actually happening to your metabolism when you start a diet and how it really messes with your body. Hi, Julie. Hi. Welcome. Thanks. Yeah. So can you, first of all, just define metabolism? What is metabolism?
1: Yeah. So metabolism is the series of processes by which food is converted into the energy and products
0: needed to sustain life. Okay. So when people say like, oh, I have a really fast metabolism or my metabolism is really slow right now, (laughs) which I hear a lot. Totally. um, What does that mean?
1: Well, okay. (laughs) That's less scientific. Oh, okay. (laughs) I would say because when people are talking – I mean it is like the rate at which these series of processes that the food is converted into energy and – all of the other functions of sustaining life. So it is the rate at which that's happening. So if somebody has a slower metabolism, that means that they need less energy to have their whole sustained life occur. <laughs> and then if somebody has a higher or faster metabolism, that means they need
0: more energy to sustain their life. And by energy, you mean <laughs> calories. <laughs>
1: yes. Which
0: I think I just want to say because... Um, yep. First of all, that matters specifically, mm-hmm. but also when when you're talking about someone having a faster metabolism, there are some myths out there that a faster metabolism means that they, you know, are going to be eating really quick or they they can eat and then it doesn't sit in their stomach. These are the sort of things I hear. Like okay. it's not sitting in their stomach. They can metabolize something faster, so the implications of that are that people aren't going to be like putting on weight or fat or whatever else in their body composition, and actually. What you're saying is that people need more food if mm-hmm. their metabolism is higher. <laughs> yeah, to keep their basic processes happening right. and right. functioning well.
1: Yeah. And they need more food because it's being burned up and used quicker. So how you started that statement is still true, right, Right. is that somebody that has a higher or faster metabolism, the process is just faster. So their body uses up the food they've taken in and converted it and used it up, and so then the body needs more food. Okay. sooner than maybe somebody who has a slower, lower metabolism.
0: Okay. And what are the factors between a sort of one person's metabolism and another's?
1: Yeah. Well, when I say that sort of term of like what is metabolism, yeah. it's such like a simplification of something that is so complex and is constantly going on in our bodies. So there's so many factors. Okay. I just like to stop to just make sure to say it's like metabolism super – complex and it's using like every system of our body. It integrates everything. So everything gets impacted by it and everything can impact it. But to sort of expand on the word complex that I'm using, just saying that it's super complex and so interrelated in our body, I guess I just want to name some of the actual so processes That are happening and recognizing that – so the body is breaking down the food, right? So we eat the food and then the body is breaking it down into molecules, so into small microscopic things, right, that then are converted into energy in our body. So you're taking those calories and converting them into energy, right? Or they're discarded and they filter out waste products That's that's not being used by the body. Those molecules then are also used in the body to build up different parts of our body. So it might be like proteins, hormones, enzymes are then synthesizing compounds, and those are needed by the cells and required to perform these many functions in the body. So I guess these processes that are happening, right, can both be giving us energy, be sent out of the body for waste, and then also can be building up and storing in our body some of these needed chemicals that help sustain life. Gosh.
0: <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm staring at you blankly because I am like trying to take all of that in as a non-science person and I'm yeah. like, "Oh, oh my goodness. Yes, this is complex and I'm curious about how all of it, like what how that impacts all the different systems of the body mm-hmm. and what the again, like what the factors are." So, the because it's so complex,
1: I think oftentimes metabolism if we come back to like when people say, "I want to have a fast metabolism" or "I want to have a slow metabolism," people do feel like they have control. Over their metabolism. And so one of the things I always I think is important to capture about metabolism is how complex it is and how many different systems are at play here. And I don't know about you, but I can't necessarily tell my body to create a particular enzyme to then be able to build up the particular type of body mass that I want in one area of my body. Like I don't, no, I, I don't do have that. communication mechanism to that part of my body. Do you?
0: I really, I really don't. <laughs> okay, I really don't. But but I know that people seem to be able to believe that they are yeah. sculpting their body or or they are controlling it in a particular way to get a particular result.
1: Yeah. And yeah. That's
0: not true.
1: Right. I mean, there's... To some degree, could be. To some degree, sure. But I think that the whole belief that you can sort of control your metabolism and change it ultimately is one of those things that I just like to throw out there as this, like, pause when thinking about metabolism. Make sure, are you checking that belief in your own (laughs) thoughts about metabolism? Because there are so many factors that affect it. And to list a few... But not even comprehensively. Uh, But some of the things that do affect metabolism is age. Okay. Sex. Composition of the body. Body size. How much body mass and then what is your body mass made up of. So is there lean body mass, muscular tone, or is there fat mass? And what combination of those body mass and compositions is your body made out of? Uh, Another big factor is Genetics. Something we really don't have control over, right? (laughs) That's all in the past. (laughs) Um, Let's see, energy intake. So food, eating, nutrition, actually eating, how much we eat or how little we eat.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Stages of life uh, or experiences in life. So pregnancy or lactation for those that have female bodies. Growth. So height and what stage in life you are in that process of growth. Movement and exercise. Sickness. So is your body fighting off infection? Is your body trying to heal from something? External temperature. So the environment in places that you are. Medications Mm -hmm. uh, and types of pharmaceuticals that could impact what's going on in these biochemical processes within our body. Um. And then some other substances, I guess, related, sort of caffeine, nicotine, some of those kinds of things also illicit drugs, right? There's different things that do impact mm-hmm. metabolism also that you might put into your body in that way.
0: So a lot of those things sound like they're out of one's control, but some of them do sound like they fall in the realm of of you know being able to kind of oscillate or change with someone's particular mm-hmm. season of life or Eight, Like you said, age even or how much they're moving or exercising or their activities of daily living. Yeah. All of those sound like they could be factors and therefore manipulated. Okay. Is that true? Some of them Some could of be. Them. I think
1: you're right, right? I mean, you're yeah. naming maybe a few that could be somewhat manipulated to a point. Okay. So I think another teaching point that could be important to name uh, is is this. And if you think of just like a bar graph – Hundred percent, like think bar graph totals a hundred percent. Okay. Okay. And when we think about metabolism, there are three components to metabolism that make that hundred percent. Okay. So the largest component is the basal metabolic rate. Okay. And is somewhere between sixty to seventy-five percent. Okay, so that's the biggest chunk, and I'll explain what that is in a second. And then the next is about 15 to 30 percent, and that's the thermal effective activity. And then the smallest percent is about 10%. And that's the thermal effect of food. So together, this totals your metabolism. Okay. So getting back to the largest part, which is the basal metabolic rate, that is all – it's the largest portion of our metabolism, our total daily energy needs. Okay. Okay. And that is when we are at rest – Our basal metabolic needs are this biggest chunk. So if you are laying around all day long, you need that big chunk of energy intake, which means you need to eat a lot of food, right? Like of your total daily need, you need to take in about 70%, let's say. I'll just use that. 70% of that right there. And that's what's having your heart pump. It also includes lungs and the pulmonary system and then liver and kidneys in terms of detoxification and our brain. So some of the coordination of all of these things going on, right? And how we're thinking about it and how we're feeling about it. So big chunk, all those things are happening when we're at rest. They're all functioning at rest. Okay. And then that thermal effect of activity is the part where there can be some manipulation. So coming back to why I went into this as the teaching point is yeah. the, like you're stating, but I could play with some of this and I could impact my metabolism. That is true to a point. But regardless of how much exercise and movement you put in there it still is only going to maybe max out at about that 30% of your total energy needs mm-hmm. okay because again the needs go a lot to these vital functions that are just keeping you alive yep okay not to just fuel the exercise right that you might do so you could you can sure you can do a lot more exercise which means then you your body metabolism could
0: increase and change but you also need more food yes A lot more. Yeah. Right. Okay. So it could impact it slightly, but Mm -hmm. you just need to keep eating. (laughs) You still – yeah, you still need to
1: eat a lot of food. Right. 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 So – and then the third one I mentioned is the thermal effect of food. Mm -hmm. And that's just the energy needed to actually – to chew, like ingest the food and then digest the food and store the food. So that's the – the, I don't know, I'll say this because I remember hearing this as a young kid even. Celery, it's like, it's negative calories. Why? Because of that, the thermal effect of food. Because you look at how many calories it is if you put it in like a testing lab to see how many calories is in it. But then when you actually ingest it, it takes more calories to burn that and digest it, ingest it, store it, or excrete it Mm -hmm. than that
0: amount that it is. Okay, okay. I think that one of the the main assumptions that I've had about metabolism, again, like total myth and just sort of pop science, I guess, has been that it has to do with burning calories and whether or not you're going to be able to burn calories faster and then, therefore, what your body looks like. Yeah. Like, I think that's sort of the assumption. Like, I think I remember even in teen magazines when I was a kid, someone, Mm. you know, some pop star or whatever being asked questions about their diet and their exercise routine and like, oh, I eat whatever I want. I just have a really fast metabolism. (laughs) It's just like runs in my family, super fast metabolism, Mm -hmm. which could be totally true, Mm -hmm. right? Genetically, yes. Genetically could be true that that means something about their body composition. Yeah. But- in order to manipulate your own body, someone else's <laughs> body to be like that, it can't really be done. I I
1: mean it it, it can to a point. That's right. the kind of the yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes, but there's like such negative ramifications to doing it too. Okay. I'm so glad you said that because that's what I was going to ask next yeah. because the whole this whole context of the conversation is diet, right? And that it's harmful to your metabolism. Mm-hmm. So what are the what are the mm-hmm. negative ramifications?
1: Okay. So I think the biggest thing to state is that most dieting, it's hard to not say all, most dieting leads to underfeeding oneself, okay? So one starts a diet at a particular state in their life, and one of those things is a metabolic rate. like Their basal metabolic rate, so that biggest chunk, Mm -hmm. is at a particular zone, and then when Somebody does some sort of intense dieting, uh, then that um, that metabolism decreases. So there, let's put it this way: so they they're living off of a certain amount of calories. They're feeding themselves a certain amount, and then they're they're living off of that. Then to diet, they're eating less. The body initially adjusts to that by potentially losing some body mass because you're taking in less energy than what your body is using. So then. You get a deficit, and the body mass needs to be used for energy. So they're burning off some of the muscle and some of the fat mass to get the calories, to get
0: the energy, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, again, in pop culture, often said as like, oh, that's a good thing. But that's actually really bad. Yeah, I <laughs> It's mean, really not so good. No, <laughs> no. It's a, it's a
1: secondary process Like, it's not the – that's not how we're normally supposed to be getting our energy. Okay? Right. But, okay, the body can do that. And then if it's a sustained time – and that varies. Honestly, it varies depending on a person. So I can't say what sustained would be. But let's say it's it's for a period of time. The body then can note this as starvation. And it says, whoa, OK, I don't have enough food and energy every day. And it's looking like I'm not going to get that. So I need to no longer function as if I need a lot of energy. I got to function with the fact that I got to live off of less energy than that. And so then it starts to decrease the processes. So it either slows some of the processes down or it just eliminates some of them. Mm-hmm. So fertility is one that often is, is seen pretty quickly in a female body. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that with Nicola Rinaldi. Before. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So that like kind of You know, that's it. Well, we don't need to reproduce. You know, we're in famine here. So no need to reproduce. We don't have enough food for offspring. No way. Or to sustain pregnancy. So forget that one. And then maybe hair, skin, nails, those external things that aren't that important to the vital functioning, those aren't going to get nutrients. So there's going to be processes that stop functioning and stop asking for the nutrition and and the energy. And then for the things that are sustaining life, it's going to be like a heart, like cardiovascularly, let's say the heart rate of somebody who is underfeeding themselves can decrease because their body needs to have to do that act of pumping less often because then there's taking less energy out of the big picture system. So that's what happens when somebody's metabolism is slowing. In a practical sense, now people can sustain life in that way. The body's actually quite amazing and miraculous in that way. It can adjust and be underfed and keep functioning. So and you're
0: saying that the metabolism and the lower heart rate are correlated.
1: Well, yeah, that's the that's okay. exactly
0: yes. Well, <laughs> thank <That> you. Didn't, <laughs> because that's I'm learning here yeah. as we talk. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So those that things are correlated. Sense. So when we're talking about energy being used, we're also The implications of that are also a heart that is pumping that energy, Mm -hmm. using the energy, and now it's slowing down. Slowing down, down, yeah. Okay.
1: Or like things like muscle building up. So maybe somebody who's looking at, I'm going to decrease my intake and increase my exercise output. That's a pretty typical prescription out there, right, Mm -hmm. is more exercise, less food (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, in the diet culture. So with that then, one of the main components to increasing strength or increasing muscle function is that you do need the protein the amino acids to be able to build because if you increase exercise and then you have not enough nutrition you're not going to get the nutrients to be able to build the strengthening of those muscles mm-hmm. in that time. So there's a diminished return. So like yes, some people will see, "Oh yeah, I have some I'm able I'm able to exercise and like push my body and all that stuff, but if we if there there is a point where if there isn't enough nutrition, there's going to be a weakening in the body." So that heart example is a, is an example of the heart weakening. Mm-hmm. It, it's adapting, but mm-hmm. it's also weakening. Um, and so those a muscle would be another example of something that would weaken over time if it's underfed. So the other practical thing, so we're we're talking a lot biologically, right? Of like yeah. what's going on at the cellular level. But as a dieter, one of the things that happens is that you are eating less food. And I understand that maybe that's Seen as really positive in our culture, that there's like you're eating less and you're resisting that food, or you're, I, I don't, right? Yeah. Somehow we're, choosing yeah, lower calorie exactly. things. Yeah. Yeah. So, but let's take a step back for a second. <laughs> and like, is that actually an enjoyable experience? Is that actually a sustainable experience? Like, the big picture is that when somebody has a slower or lower metabolism to maintain one's body weight, if that's the goal in this whole diet thing, is that then you have to eat less food all the time, consistently. Okay? And I just think that that's something that I don't think people really totally grasp, that to maintain a lower metabolism means you're eating less
0: calories overall. Forever. Forever. Yeah. Forever. And, yep. yeah. I don't, and, think, I don't think that people do necessarily grasp that. And if they do, I think that they would maybe assume that they should be Doing that. Okay. That that's better for them, anyways. It's better for them okay. that they were overweight or they feel overweight or their body's not at a certain point that seems, I mean, especially if you've gone to the doctor and you have a totally Somebody's normal you. body and you, you're told that you are bad because of your BMI. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't trust where my body is mm-hmm. naturally and it's not okay. And so, therefore, the amount that I'm eating is probably not okay. And mm-hmm. if I was doing it right, my body would be a lot smaller. That's the, that's the way that I was intended to be smaller. Yes. Yeah, right, 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 And so a smaller body needs less food, so I should just have less food, and then I'll get there and I'll stay there.
1: Yes, and that is like an adaptation to one's
0: natural set point right. or natural way right. that they were supposed to be. Exactly. And then, and then in that smaller body, it's like the feeling of, oh, this is how I was meant to be, mm-hmm. the, the common phrase of like, oh, there's a thin body inside of that yes. other body. yes. Mm-hmm. Totally. Cringe-worthy. Cringe. Yes.
1: Yeah. And I know that our episode 32 talks a bit more of the dangers of dieting, and it gets into, I would say, less of this biological scientific mm-hmm. realm, and it gets a little bit more into the food relationship and psychological yeah. impact
0: of this. And that's called caution, don't start a diet, for those that want to go back and listen to that.
1: And that's where my heart goes more right. than into the science like i i just like i can't move on from talking about having a lower slower metabolism without saying
0: what this really means is like y- you're you could you have less freedom with food and to say it again we've probably said it a million times like your your body's telling you what you need yeah. by giving you those hunger cues mm-hmm. giving you the sort of um enticement even that is there when you see something on a menu that's so exciting to you like yeah. that that's a biological message that's being sent to yeah. your brain yeah. to tell you to eat more food yeah and i think our philosophy our sort of our approach is just that we would
1: come to know our own bodies and stay connected to that and find it find the sweet spot for each of us individually and that does mean embracing and accepting the natural metabolism that we have and eating the most and have, you know, the most that you possibly can in in that realm of metabolism. Because what that actually means, I mean, the key, most key factor for metabolism is that you just need to eat enough. Um, and nutrition is such a huge, huge component to it. So if somebody isn't eating enough, they're naturally going to have a slower metabolism. But if you're eating more, you're going to have a faster metabolism or at least meet your your optimum, like kind of get to your max. And and when you're at your max in terms of what your body needs most – you got to look at that as energy which means you're getting the most of the macro micronutrients cuz you're taking in the most amount of calories you possibly can which means you're getting the most of these carbohydrates and fats and proteins and minerals and vitamins that are so essential for life and you also likely are also feeling satisfied mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're not obsessing about food yes so there's so much benefit to Reaching, actually, and getting to eat the most amount of food yep. for the health of your metabolism. Yes.
0: Yes. Too. That's actually reminding me of something totally non-food related that I've been discovering right now about myself that I, I had a long season of burnout and exhaustion and stress and I am no longer in it, which – Holy holly, <laughs> oh my God, it's the best. It's but I'm noticing, hear. yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing that my I'm able to think about things that I didn't notice I hadn't been thinking about for years. Like, I mean, I said on uh, Eating Styles a long time ago about meal planning. I've been meal planning. I can like send a birthday card. I mean, mm. I can think ahead yeah. In ways that I hadn't noticed was a possibility. I knew that I was behind on everything in life, but I hadn't noticed the impact. And as you're describing this with getting the maximum amount of <laughs> nutrients, mm. like that's sort of it. Where, mm. where like I have enough rest to be able to think into kind of deeper processes emotionally and then also logistically. In the same way that I would imagine those minerals actually being able to be absorbed when you have the like enough nutrients in your body and enough energy for your body to actually be able to sort of lean into the more complicated processes like fertility mm. or like, uh, you know, a, a very healthy heart rate. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. not as extra, but yeah. Kind of reminds me of that. Yeah,
1: I could hear that. I do. Yes. It's living to your max. Yes. <laughs> not that we all need to live to our max, but it just is like, I think people have that misconception that somehow living to your max is eating less.
0: Right. So in terms of long-term impacts, I do want to understand more about what happens to someone's body, what can be expected, what happens to their metabolism maybe after the diet is over and they have, like in recovery from an eating disorder, gotten to a a long period of time where they're actually getting their needs finally met nutritionally. Okay. What's happening and and what can be expected? So... In terms
1: of metabolism being affected long term for those that have been dieters or have experienced eating disorders, the research right now is it goes in all directions. So we're finding that some bodies will be really strongly impacted by it and their metabolism will not rebound. So like not come back up to the higher amount that they naturally were before they dieted or before they were in the throes of an eating disorder. And some people, it will rebound and it will be back up to the same amount that they were at before their diet or before their eating disorder. So it it actually, it really depends. Okay. And we aren't able to predict based on assessment or factors that when we meet somebody or we're assessing somebody, we there isn't science right now that clearly says these people are going to have sustained low meta- metabolic rate based on the fact they've been doing all of this to their body, and these are not. So that's it's a risk, okay. I guess. And there's a couple examples of where this these studies have come out of. So one was done in the 40s, something called the Keyes Study. So Ansel Keyes was a scientist who was studying metabolism and uh, did a exercise at the University of Minnesota that took men that were conscientious objectors to the war and were used as subjects to kind of see what does starvation do to the body and how can we learn how to refeed people after starvation because there were people in you know war refugee camps and concentration camps that they were trying to understand how to safely restore people to health so these men voluntarily said I don't want to go into war so I will put my body into this semi-starvation state and be monitored. So they did this for six months and then they monitored their lots of, lots of things. So you can look up their psychological impact and the um, food relationship impact, their relational, social behaviors, all those things. But metabolically, to get back to our yeah, you know focus today <laughs> is metabolically they did um have some of them that definitely had decreased metabolic rate throughout the process and then long term, and then some that rebounded back. never again are they ever gonna we're ever gonna be able to semi starve people. It just isn't ethical, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is a pretty rare pocket of research
0: and data that we mm-hmm. have i mean that that's a study that I'm familiar with, and i I think I remember that the that semi-starvation in the study was like 1,500 calories or something. Right. Which so, I'm saying out loud because okay. I I know that there are a lot of recommendations around like what's normal or what would be sort of a good average thing to just like mm-hmm. kind of lose some calories and lose some weight. And I think when people hear the word starvation, they probably think about something different. Yeah. So I just wanted to put that number out there because um, this is, you know, A number that I think people often hear as being semi-adequate. Totally. And there were huge ramifications Yep, as people, as these men were eating this amount of calories on all of those uh, realms of their lives, like you mentioned.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: A more current modern example actually is The Biggest Loser.
1: So it's obviously not research, but it was this – there was a lot of data collected during – The shows. And so there was actually a published uh, article in the Medical Journal of Obesity, quote unquote, I hate using that word, in 2017. And it also named the metabolic impact of those that have gone through the biggest loser show. Again, clearly they saw that many of the participants uh, during the show their metabolic rate decreases significantly because they're eating so much less. And then um, for some of them, it it's stayed low. And that's where scientists are going, why is that, right? These Some of them have regained weight, so their body mass is larger again. And so that would make sense like, oh, well, now their body mass is larger, so their metabolism should increase again. And that's not happening. And so there's just mystery, again, still some uncertainty and unknown around it. But I I just want to sort of name again, like, oh, dieting does have that risk of impacting metabolism long term, which then would have somebody end up maybe having to eat less food to meet their needs or and not ever feel satisfied. Like it's just a, it's a it's a mess of long-term stress. And I would say it's just an evidence that dieting is a stress on the body is more than what anything is just saying like, yes, this is hard on the body to underfeed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just is. And and the body is confused about where it is. Like, yeah. is it in famine? Is it not? Do I have access to food? I just, I just think the body's confused and we're not finding clearer
0: answers as to how to prevent the
1: metabolic impact.
0: Mm -hmm. And the confusion on the body, then, I would imagine, creates a lot of unnecessary preoccupation with food in one's life Mm -hmm. um, as the body tries to figure that out. Absolutely. um, To figure out what they need and is maybe constantly thinking about food and if they're getting the right thing or maybe they're trying to still live by these diet rules and they're just preoccupied by it. Absolutely. Yep. There's more to life. I know. I feel like in weight loss shows or sort of these – body transformation shows, like The Biggest Loser, there's this emphasis on losing weight and keeping it off. And then this moral failure when someone, you know, mm. loses the weight and regains it and more. I feel like yeah. I've heard that phrase a lot, like that they would, you know, someone on a Weight Watchers commercial talking about, I lost all the weight, but then over and over again, I gained it back and more. And, you know, now finally i yeah, trying to find something that works or whatever, is that process that people often are blaming on a moral failure and lack of willpower reflective at all in this metabolic yeah. conversation? To say it
1: simply, coming back to that bar graph the basal metabolic rate piece. Is that that what we're seeing is that the basal metabolic rate really is fighting against the weight loss? It's trying to get the body back to what it wants to be, and so body the body's biology is fighting against the. The actions, like the behaviors that somebody has done in their diet, and then the body is trying to get back to what it is wants to be at it, what's supposed to naturally be, and then the weight gain comes back on so and that's you know that that's where we don't say that's a moral failure. That's just somebody naturally being who they're supposed to be. Right. and I think. This is a whole nother episode, right? Of like, well, what What about natural? I don't think that this was my natural weight when I started my diet. It happened because of secondarily to, to stress and to not taking care of myself or to having season of binge eating and overeating. And that's where the weight gain came from. So come on, can't I do something to get rid of that body weight and that mass? And that's where our philosophy and this approach would say, as you care for yourself, Who knows what your body's gonna do. But if you underfeed yourself, it's gonna have long-term ramifications that aren't gonna actually provide health for your body. But you can care for
0: yourself and it may or may not impact your weight. Mm -hmm. So And your weight may have changed for some other factor because of some other factors, anyways. Sure.
1: Right. There's so many reasons, right? Right. Yeah. I only listed a few, I suppose, right? Of like why somebody might think, well, this is why my body changed. Right. But
0: as a kind of culture right now, we are in the season of emphasis on weight loss, or at least emphasis on a sort of a lifestyle change, um, (laughs) diet and code. What would you say for people as they're kind of surrounded by those messages right now?
1: Uh, Let the body be the body.
0: That's what I want.
1: (laughs) Really, let the body be the body. And you live and care for yourself that feels attuned and honest, and that's where I think the wellness will come, so...
0: I love what you just said, Julie. And I certainly am hoping that for people that are listening as well. Um, And just a reminder for anyone that's listening, you can always reach out to us if you feel like you or someone that you know is struggling with an eating disorder and you want to get some help or some more resources. You can find us at opalfoodandbody.com or follow along with us simply on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter if you just want to kind of be part of the conversation more regularly. And make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so that you're aware of any next episodes that are released. We typically release weekly and would love to have you along every single week. Thank you to Daniel Gunther at Jack Stroll Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you join us next time. Bye.